Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, Cosmo is taking back the reins on 321 Go. We have an interview with David Widener of Pilgrim Monument, and two minutes with Tom. Tom's talking about his most recent favorite read, Say Nothing. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, the city of Somerville has been eagerly anticipating a new bike path as part of the Green Line Extension Project for years. But there's concern its planned 10-foot width isn't enough. Are cyclists and pedestrians on an inevitable collision course? We'll discuss. And we'll talk to Brett Ahrens from MarketWatch about the less-than-stellar Uber IPO and his observations from the recent Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholders meeting. Finally, we convene a panel of interesting people to discuss the cultural phenomenon of Game of Thrones and how social media makes it a truly unique viewing experience. Joining me here on 321 Go is... Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Well, Kyan, I'm Hi. back. You are back. I enjoyed the episode. I had to give it a listen. Did you? As you stood in for me on three, two, one, go. What did you think? I was. I, I, it was an admirable experience. A, uh, a a fine effort. Thank you. A fine effort. You, you, I think you you played with it. You stayed within yourself, though. A little bit. You, you I tried to kick yourself. it up a little bit. Half a notch to a Cosmo level, but yeah. I mean, like no one can quite do it. Enjoyed same, it very much. You know? It's well, great thank to you. it's great to be back. All right, let's get to it. All right, Kyan, the city of Somerville uh, has been anticipating a couple of things. Number one, the Green Line extension, uh, and, and as part of that, um, uh, or at least not exclusively part of it, but a, but an important part of that is the um, the city's community and or bike path, right? The community path, the bike path. Um, tremendous anticipation. But some concern, the Globe asked this week, is 10 feet enough space for hundreds of cyclists to squeeze through Somerville. And not just cyclists, right, but, but pedestrians and others using the path. The bottom line is federal guidelines suggest or indicate you want a bike path to be at least or more than 10 or 11 feet, more like 12 feet wide as others are in different areas, the Miniman bike path and such. Um, you want it to be at least 12 feet wide to be safe, uh, and this one right now is planned only for 10 feet wide. There's a lot of concern about that because there's going to be a lot of traffic, meaning cyclist and pedestrian traffic. What do you think? I didn't realize that they would predict so many people <laughs> ride their bikes. Yeah, but I mean news. that that corridor that, that 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 they're installing this is, is it's going to be busy, and, and it's going to have other other bike paths, other other you know uh, routes uh, feeding into it. So it's going to be pretty significantly busy. I think that um, it's one of those, we've got to figure out a way to make this city more bike friendly. We're really, we're not particularly in comparison to a lot of other cities. Um, I think that there are parts of this that are 12 feet and then other parts that due to certain restrictions in the land and space, they had to go down to 10. I mean, I'm not an avid bike rider, so I don't, I trust the experts that say, but I also think that 
10 feet is better than no feet if it's only in variations. Sure. Um, but I, I mean, I suppose you could have in those in those 10 foot zones some uh, interpretive signage that uh, that suggests or directs you to slow down or yeah. to be more cautious. Narrowing ahead. I don't yeah, know. I, I think with good signage, I mean, probably any obstacle can be overcome. But what was interesting when I was reading this particular story from the Globe is that for a while they had eliminated the bike path from the plan. Yes, and then brought in a new contractor who basically came in and said, no, 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 we can do this. Um, but that was the first thing to go from the plan was like, okay, we don't have enough money. We're going to get rid of the bike path. And we really do. Our, our transportation infrastructure, we've been talking about this a lot lately on this podcast, in the news, around the Commonwealth. We're not doing so well. And cycling is not really as safe as it should be in many communities. So certainly this kind, this kind of a resource, number one, encourages it, but also makes it a little bit more safe. Absolutely. Or maybe and, hopefully a lot more and safe. And people I mean, want was, to be safe. There was a head-on collision with a 70-year-old man who was killed in a head-on collision on the Minuteman bike path, yeah. which is 12 feet wide. That's probably the exception to the rule. Yes. Yeah. Bottom right. line is I think the more we can do to encourage this as a as a whole within the community and getting into the city and out of the city is all good um and you know there's gonna be hiccups along the way all right we'll keep an eye on it cayenne thanks very much all right up next we're talking to brett aarons from market watch he's a uh, financial columnist for market watch brett Good to have you here on No Way On Air for the first time. Great to be here. Great to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Now, I've been following some of your recent stuff, and not long ago, I guess two weeks now, you were at the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Meeting, right? That's Oma- right. Oma- yep. In yep. Omaha, uh, Nebraska. In Omaha, Nebraska. And um, the, uh, what do they call, uh, what do they call Warren Buffett? The Oracle of Omaha? The, it's the Oracle of Omaha, sometimes the Sage of Omaha. The Sage, yes. yes. You know, it used to be he only spoke very occasionally. Now he's he's on CNBC so often, you figure, you know, it's uh, it sort of devalued the, 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 the words of wisdom. Now, from my experience and over the years and, and, and my, my past as journalist covering annual meetings, you generally get at least some level of investor outrage and someone's out there throwing... Throwing, throwing, throwing bombs and throwing rocks at the CEO, but it sounds like from what we've talked about in this case, it's pure adulation. Oh, this right? is this is a cult meeting. The way to understand <laughs> this, this is a cult, and it's it, you turn up at this thing, and the day before, I mean, it's fascinating. The day before the actual meeting, they've got Berkshire Hathaway, basically a mall. Basically, they have they take over this big uh, uh, space next to the the, the meeting. And all the Berkshire Hathaway concessions set up, and it's you know sees candies and you know the mobile home concessions, and these and the, the Berkshire Hathaway you know investors all go there and spend their money. These guys are losing money on the stock. There's no way they are making <laughs> enough money on the stock to pay for, for for what they're buying. So look, they go. They, Wait, they, this is like swag. This is they're yeah. buying swag. I needed I needed a bag. I had a bunch of things I was carrying. I needed a just like a a simple um, tote bag, right? You are not getting a free Berkshire Hathaway tote bag. Not only not if you're a stockholder, not if you are a, a member of the press. I had to buy a NetJets <laughs> tote bag for like 15, 20 bucks 
Uh, I mean, it's no, seriously. So, so you turn up, you get fleeced in this thing. Yeah. Um, and then and, you find out why you're losing money on your stuff. And then you go the next day, and, you know, they just basically go, you know, in, into ecstasy. It's this cult meeting. I mean, it, it really is. It's, it, it's bizarre. Now, you had a terrific column, very interesting. Uh, and outside what I think the mainstream thinking has been over the years, and that was basically, yeah, Berkshire Hathaway, it's kind of, you're better off putting your money in an index fund or no worse. Well, yeah, at this point, it's so big. Um, it's, it's like a, it's it's like an a fund. fund. It's, it's an like index a, fund, basically. Yeah. yeah, at this point, the, the days when it was uh, able to outperform uh, substantially have long gone, and it's now so gigantic. It basically is an index fund. Yeah, stable, but you're not yeah. getting these killer returns that are no, outpacing no, no, the market. No, no, no. Yeah. All right, let's switch gears. Um, to a, to an IPO, Uber, a yep. company that we're both very familiar with, and so is the rest of the world, uh, and, and fans of the service and the company. But their IPO, um, which just happened uh, in, in the past ten days, um, really has been met with disappointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it 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 came out. Uh, I think it was forty five bucks. Um, which was actually slightly below expectations, and then it went down. Now, of course, it came out right uh, when the all this talk about the trade war came out, so there was a lot of um, selling across the market. Sure, um, but so they got, maybe got caught up in the teeth of the trade war. Some of that, or some the of that winds of the their their much smaller storm. competitor Lyft came out about uh, went public about six weeks earlier, and Lyft had been coming down sharply. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a lot of um, uh, bear raiders uh, attacking the stock. I got to tell you, I think. Uh, it's impossible to value these things, but I think uh, I'm surprised at the number of people who are being skeptical about Uber. To me, this company is so clearly in the same category. I was, uh, you know, what they call the FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, these sort of platform stocks that basically have just opened where they dominate their industries. To me, Uber is in the same category. And it's going to be, they're going to start talking about Fangu at some point. And spe speaking of, you know, oracles or uh, sages of investing, maybe old school, Peter Lynch, if you love the fundamentals of a company, yep. you should love the stock too. Yep. Who doesn't love the fundamentals? Oh, it's a service that everyone uses. It has We've become dependent on it. It's it, destroyed other industries yeah. like taxi cabs and yeah. stuff. It has changed... Um, our society in so many ways. I mean, I'm not, I actually don't own a car. I mean, I used to live in, in London, so, you know, I just got out of the habit of having a car. And what's interesting is that five years ago, if you wanted to live in the US and you didn't want to own a car, there were like four places you could live. I mean, you were basically Manhattan, yeah. you know, downtown Boston, parts of Boston, yeah. you know, a few other places. Now you can live almost anywhere. I mean, sure. certainly maybe not in the in the far countryside, but, you know, a, a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco used to have a nightmare parking every day. He hasn't owned a car for years. He just takes Uber pool to work. Sure, sure. It's changed everything. And, and look, this is one of those things where, you know, the more people who use Uber, the more people stop having their own cars, the more they need to use Uber. It becomes, a, it becomes like a network. It, it's a lock. When we were journalists together, real quick, it, so, so Uber's changing the world the way, when we were reporting together, the way Segway never really did, right? That was the big Segway launch. <laughs> I remember that, yes, the Segway was going to change the world yes. and the rest of it. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's changed the life of mall cops everywhere. <laughs> That's about it. That's about it. All right. Brett Aaron from MarketWatch. Hey, thanks for joining us. It's great been great be having here. you. I'd love to have you back soon. I'd love to. All right. All right, <clears throat> up next, probably the biggest phenomenon right now in television entertainment is Game of Thrones. Uh, huge show. 
uh, every day the global water cooler that is social media is uh, a glitter with Game of Thrones talk. I don't fully get it myself because I'm not really a watcher, but you know what? People don't necessarily get that I love Trailer Park Boys, so I'm going to give it over to the people who really watch this show. We're going to save that for another episode <laughs> and put a pin in that. Brett Aarons from Market Watch is joining us for this. Kyan Isaacson, the official voice of OA on Air, and Brooke and Ashley, our technical advisors and podcast wizards, all Game of Thrones watchers. Let me start with you, Ashley. What do you think about the phenomenon of this program and why people love this show so much? I don't know, but I've never been so compelled to tweet about a show in my life. It's just constant. It is. Right? Your 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 Twitter obsession on, on all things got is it's really bad. <laughs> is it dumb? I don't know. Everyone everyone that watches it seems to like it. And if the, the people who don't like it don't watch it, right, Cosmo? That's true. It, it's it's a show that I don't see myself becoming uh, part of the demographic. It, it, it has elements and, and things that, that just Same. aren't what... They just don't want... Yeah, you're either into fantasy or you're not, really. You I mean, are. You're either, that's was, right. I was the same way. I watched the first couple of episodes years ago, and I was like, I'm all set. Well, fast, one of the fascinating things about this is it really is a Twitter phenomenon. You know, we're old enough to remember, some of us are old enough to remember, back when there was no such thing as Netflix or binge-watching or streaming on demand, and you had to watch at a particular time. A program was the hot show was on at a particular time. Appointment television. Yeah. But what's happened actually now with, with Game of Thrones, as I found, it was we've sort of gone back to that because if you're not watching it the minute it drops, you're not up to date with the Twitter conversation. You're sitting there thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm five minutes behind. So I am not tweeting i'm not right on the on the on the the crest of the twitter wave so actually it's back to appointment television but it the, the appointments on twitter rather than anything else so here's my question and you're you're so right would it be the phenomenon it is today if not for social media specifically twitter no it wouldn't be the global phenomenon um what's really interesting about this is that it's so worldwide and they're so concerned about um, piracy, that when it streams at 9 o'clock in the evening on Sunday here, it literally streams at 2 o'clock in the morning in London. They do not stream it the next day, or they do not stream it at 9 o'clock in London. <coughs> London is five hours ahead. They literally, if you want to watch Game of Thrones uh, real time when it comes out in London, you have to be up at 2 o'clock in the morning, because otherwise there would be piracy. And what's fascinating on Twitter is all these people saying, you know, uh, people who literally say, "I can't go on Twitter for two days because I haven't seen the latest episode." <laughs> yes, and it's 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 really uh, it's it's extraordinary. Honestly, you know, we'll wrap it up. The only thing that I uh, watch in that way is sporting events: Patriots game, Celtics game, Bruins. Sometimes I'm, I, I'm, I'm, That's what Game of Thrones. I'm is. you know tweeting and and texting friends watching the show. Like, oh my god, you know, just like watching the game. But this is why this sports is programs, sports programs are so valuable to advertisers because they're the last program left where you can't, you know, binge watch. You have to watch it live. You have yes. to watch every appointment. No, I'm not going to watch the World. I'll watch the World Series next week when I've got some time, you know. I know. Yeah, that's true. Tape delaying a sporting yeah. event. People do it. it it's weak. Yeah. you got to yeah, watch yeah. it live. All right. Thanks, gang. That's been our Game of Thrones segment. Good talking to you. Great to be here. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321GO. Our program is recorded in Studio 108, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of a government center, Boston, Massachusetts. 
Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's it for 321 Go. Up next, an interview with David Widener on the Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown 400 celebration. Welcome to OA On Air. I'm Ann Murphy, Senior Vice President at O'Neill and Associates. And today, it's my pleasure, we're going to be talking about Provincetown, and more specifically, the Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown Museum. I'd like to welcome my guest today, the Executive Director, Dr. David Widener. David, welcome. Hey, thanks, Ann. It's always such a pleasure to be at O'Neill and Associates. It's just a great time to, to visit and talk about great things in Provincetown. Oh, this, this is this one of the best things about our job. We get to promote the great things that our our clients do. Well, tell me what is happening up at the Monument uh, and Museum this season. We know many of you, maybe perhaps some of your listeners don't know what the Pilgrim Mon- Monument's all about. Pilgrim Monument is the oldest uh, 501c3 in Cape Cod. It's an educational opportunity. It's a, non- a non-profit. And we have an actual monument structure, a granite structure, 252 feet tall in the air. You can actually climb inside the Pilgrim Monument. It was built between 1907 and 1910. We've had two sitting presidents come. Teddy Roosevelt was there to lay the cornerstone. William Howard Taft dedicated it. It's all about the connection to the Mayflower Pilgrims that landed there in November of 1620 when they signed the Mayflower Compact, a document that is uh, seminal to democracy in the New World. And they had an opportunity to meet the native people, the Wampanoag folks. And it was an interesting time of 1620s, social justice, immigration. It has a lot of connection with today. It certainly does. And that monument is spectacular, as you can see it from land, from air, from from the sea. And walking up that, I have done it before, and I would just encourage everybody to do it. It's fascinating, especially when you get to the top and you see, wow, you know, that, that view is just... view stunning. It's one of my, actually one of my good aerobic activities. Yes. I do it regularly, like almost daily. In fact, it's kind of like the thing, who's going to climb to the top today? And how fast did you make it? So it's always a good thing. So tell me about um, some of the exhibitions in there, if people want Well, we have actually a gorgeous museum that really dedicates and commemorates the history of life in Provincetown from our, uh, from our pilgrim roots uh, and the connection to the Wampanoag people, but also to our Portuguese fishing communities, uh, the Azores. We have a lot of interesting things about whaling. We also have a, uh, an exhibit uh, contributing, connecting to the Daldeo family of Provincetown, which was very instrumental in making uh, life in our seashore uh, a reserved park so that's a pretty pretty special thing we also are continuing a program that's kind of uh, additionally to the arts Uh, we have a chamber music for the outer cape Uh, in the last year we've had donors uh, pull money together and donate for a brand new piano and we have a series three programs a year Uh, in the off season we have a program in february a program in may and then one generally in the autumn either october or november Chamber music uh, draws a lot of interest. Uh, It's not classical music, it's chamber music. So it's musicians, it's vocal. Uh, We're having that and exploring it. And we're having a lot of good uh, interest in it. uh, The last concert we had in February, the dead of winter, we had 82 people attend the concert. It wow. was amazing. <laughs> there are a lot of things to do on the Cape, even in the off season. I think that, and then that's a, that's a great opportunity for the local community, and you know, giving back to all the music lovers there too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, you know, music music is an interesting uh, is an interesting art form. I mean, we do celebrate the arts in Provincetown. We have a large theater community. We have our large LGBTQ community, and so there's a lot of interesting dimensions that we like to promote at the Pilgrim Monument. 
Now, I know you're working on uh, this other interesting project to create a new front door to the monument. Yeah, our new Bradford Access Project. It's about accessibility to uh, the monument grounds. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be building an incline elevator um, that's very reminiscent of uh, funiculars in, in Portugal or Pittsburgh has one. Many places have them around the world. And this is a it's an elevator. It's a it's an operated. It's not operated by a person. You just push the button and it takes you up to the base mm -hmm. of the monument and brings you back down. But it's opening a new door so that our people that are walking on Provincetown mm -hmm. and walking in the streets uh, can get easy access to the gorgeous grounds uh, and to make the another climb up to the monument itself and to visit our museum. Great. Well, we look forward to when that is uh, going to happen, probably within the next year or so. In the next year. We're hoping to break ground here in the fall of 2019 uh, so that we can kind of get ourselves into the 400th commemorative year of 2020. Well, which brings me to the question uh, about... Uh, the 400th anniversary for the commemoration of the Mayflower Pilgrims landing in Provincetown first. We'll, don't, don't you think people will not forget that now? We're going to be keep promoting it. I know that you're working hard on that to oversee these activities. Can you just tell us what's going on? It's really amazing. Well, it's funny, you know, it's a, it's a, I used to teach elementary school and I, one of my elementary school teachers was a Mayflower descendant, a member, a member of the General Society of Mayflower Descendants. So I always knew that Provincetown was where the Mayflower Pilgrims landed. For, I mean, I knew that and I I taught, when I taught school, I taught my kids that, even though the textbook said they came to Plymouth. Well, the Mayflower Pilgrims did go to Plymouth. That's true. Right. The, what we never report in textbooks today or curriculum is that they came to Provincetown, which is what is now known as Provincetown. Uh, they landed there in November of 1620. Uh, they formulated a document, which is a seminal document, called the Mayflower Compact. And that is uh, a treatise for where we are in democracy today and why pilgrims continue to come to Provincetown all the time. And pilgrims from all different walks of life, from people who can be free to be who they are. I think that's the unique quality of Provincetown. It makes Provincetown what it is. It's a unique place. It's a safe place. Uh, it's an energetic place. The sun and the light and the moon uh, make great for art, whether mm -hmm. it's theater, whether it's uh, sculpture, whether it's painting. It's a joyful. It's a joyful place. And so we're thrilled to 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 welcome this 2020 commemorative year. It's a lifetime commemoration. We're actually doing several things. One big uh, opportunity is in our museum itself. In beginning of 2020, we're kicking off a new exhibit, uh, the first new permanent exhibit at the museum since the museum opened practically, that we will be um, creating uh, an exhibition around the Wampanoag Native people's story and their connection with the Mayflower Pilgrims. We're uh, really excited to work with a local um, a local Wampanoag company called Smoke Signals to design this uh, interpretive, interactive activity and, and permanent exhibit. And I, I just, I, I'm welling up about knowing that we're going to be creating something that's going to be sustaining uh, to, to educate, uh, which is part of our mission. And that's going to open, uh, that'll open in 2020 as a permanent opportunity. And as we work through the year, we have several things that we're going to be doing that's going to lead us up to September of 2020. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, in September, I know that that, that uh, there are some big things planned for Provincetown. And I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot of visitors uh, throughout the 2020 year. But what is happening in Provincetown in 
in September. In September. Well, I will tell you, I'll go back a little bit about the number of visitors. We annually get about 100,000 people that visit, visit the Pilgrim Monument every year. And whether they're coming for uh, a visitation for a weekend or they're coming for a road race, perhaps, well, we get about 100,000 people a year. Um, we are anticipating in our town upwards of a half a million people during wow. 2020. If you look at the economic indicators for tourism, and that's kind of on the low end. So we are gearing up with working with sponsors and trying to create additional opportunities for uh, more visitors and capacity in mm -hmm. our town, whether it's adding more ferry service, adding more bus service, being more hospitable to people and travel. But it's going to be a busy year. Uh, we are working right now to welcome uh, the Mayflower II, which is the Mayflower replica owned by the Plymouth Plantation, uh, to Provincetown in September of 2020. So that there's going to come calling it uh, GSMD Week, General Society of Mayflower Descendant mm. Week, but it's really our week and our signature statewide signature event. Uh, where the Mayflower 2 will come into our harbor, will be received. We will be doing some ticket sales to uh, to People offset. People will be able to go on it. Able to go on the ship and then visit the monument in the museum, take the incline elevator to the, to the monument. So it's going to be a really great opportunity. Um, part of the picture it kind of story is we're taking the, uh, we're having a gala opportunity on the 12th of September uh, after the Swim for Life, where we'll have uh, music and dance at the base of the Pilgrim Monument while we are seeing the Mayflower, too, in the harbor. Oh, and then on Sunday morning, we will all gather in fair. we'll be ferries out on the water. Um, the General uh, Society of Mayflower Descendants will be able to be uh, on the water, around, surrounding the Mayflower, having a memorial service, laying a wreath, and really reflecting upon what happened in 1620. We'll then be doing a reenactment, period reenactment of the signing of the Mayflower Compact. And that will be telecast visually around the world mm -hmm. where we will see that and experience what the Mayflower Compact was all about. Following that, we're going to come back to the harbor and then uh, our Mayflower pilgrims will be uh, in a procession with the uh, Order of the Masons that actually built the Pilgrim Monument and take them up to the base of the Pilgrim Monument where we'll have a grand lunch for a couple thousand people. I'm trying to figure out how to get that done. <laughs> that will be interesting. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a lot of cooking, I'm sure. And, <laughs> but it was going to be a fantastic day, and that'll be Sunday. And then on the Monday morning, we'll be saying goodbye to the Mayflower. She journeys back to journeys back to to Plymouth. Um, and then our little, we'll rest a little bit in October. Mm -hmm. And then in November, our final uh, commemorative activity in Provincetown will be the lighting of the Pilgrim Monument on November the 11th of 2020 with a 30-minute plus firework display. It is going to be a firework display unto none other. Uh, I have a marginally, uh, a marginally anonymous donor that is uh, working to provide our fireworks display, and it's going to be something to see. 30 minutes. 30 that minute. is a real fireworks 30, display. 30-minute 30, 30 firework display. And we're commemorating um, the Wampanoag people. We're commemorating the Mayflower Compact. We're commemorating pilgrims every day that come to Provincetown. And uh, it's going to be an amazing show of 400 years. Well, David, I know that this takes resources, and um, we, uh, we, we're well aware of that. Everything does bringing the Mayflower in and, and doing all these events. 
Uh, I know, uh, I think you just signed up some uh, someone in, uh, interesting for a September a September event at the Monument. So uh, let's we, talk about that. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about Jimmy Tingle. I love this Jimmy is, Tingle. This is, <laughs> Jimmy Tingle is so excited to come to Provincetown. We are going to have this fall. Um, the date is September, uh, 19th, September 19th, right? Or that's been confirmed with him on his schedule. And we're going to have a comic relief activity from Jimmy Tingle. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be something. Nice. We're going to sell tickets, and it's going to be a fundraiser for uh, for Provincetown 400. Uh, we don't have tickets yet online, but they will be available at provincetown400.org on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, ticketing will be happening here soon because I know that's going to sell out. Sure. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Tingle has a has a great following. If anyone has ever seen <sighs> his Mayflower riff on 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 YouTube, that's going to be more some of that and more. It's and so more. funny. He's going to rewrite new stuff. So right. this is going to yeah. be terrific. It's going to so so. Keep that as a as a date point in line, and we are going to be doing more fundraising activities. Uh, we have had some we had some dinners. We're having some private activities. We're looking for sponsorship. So anyone that's listening uh, of your clients that are like, hey, I'd like to get involved with Provincetown, just let me know because I will be right there and to help you make a memory for Provincetown and for the history of 400 commemorative years. And how can they get in touch with you or get more information on that? Well, I live pretty much at the Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown <laughs> Museum. Uh, but uh, going to our website, which would be provincetown400.org, is an easy one to do. We also have uh, pilgrim-monument.org, which is our main monument website. Both of those are easily accessed. You can also reach us on Facebook and Twitter. That's wonderful. David, thank you so much for coming in today. We are all very excited about the Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown Museum and Provincetown 400. So let's go for it. Let's go for it. Thanks, (laughs) Anne, for us again. Have a great day. And now, Two Minutes with Tom. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. Two Minutes with Cayenne. No, that's not catchy. Two Minutes with Tom. That's why it's called Two Minutes with Tom. Two Minutes minutes with with Cayenne's not interesting. You read a lot of books. You do a lot of reading. I love a lot of reading. I love love histories. I love biographies. I I love uh, historic novels. I I love to read about the way it once was, whether it's here or anyplace else on the globe. Um, It's just giving me a sense of the way it was, you know, what what built mankind, what... um, you know what? What were the obstacles? What were the barriers? What were the what were the heroic steps? Where was the nobility? Um, you know, I, I love to read about public service. I love to read about people who have had exciting and, and adventurous lives. More meaningful reads, I would I would call them. I, I would call them more meaningful. Yes. And despite the fact that you read a lot of books, every now and again there's a book, and you come in. And you tell everybody that they have to read this book, and you talk a lot, talk a lot about it. And right now, say nothing. Say nothing. The name of the book is "Say Nothing." You know, the measure of a book is uh, not only that it that it uh, it doesn't have to be on the bestseller list to be a great book, because so many books get missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this country, I think there are like twenty thousand books a week coming out in publication. Um, but when it's on the bestseller list, as this book was for ten or twelve weeks. You know, it's got you know, it's got some never-ending um, storylines that uh, people really have an interest in. Say Nothing is about Northern Ireland and the troubles, so-called, in Northern Ireland and the disappearance and murder of a mother of ten um, and who was responsible for it. And if you care about Ireland, you don't have to care about Ireland to pick up the book and read it. It's, it's really quite well done. But if you, if you have this, 
fondness for things Irish, and you want a sense of the history of Ireland over these last troubled 400 years, uh, this gives you a real picture of the 20th century and, and the way it was mid-century. Um, and, and who was responsible for what acts, what the acts were, what prompted them, what, um, what uh, some of the trials and tribulations of both the British and the Irish, Northern Irish. Um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating book. And it's, it's something real time, real place, uh, real life that you just, you hear about it, you think about it, you've talked about it, but when you see it on these pages, it, it just gives you a, a sense of, oh my God, um, and it's a real sense of history. I, I must say the author is um, Haddon Keefe. Um, he's the son, I, I didn't know this until another friend told me, uh, who had also read the book, that he, he's the son of a, a very special guy around the greater Boston area, Frank Keefe. Um, but but the book is genuinely good. The the bark doesn't fall too far from the tree. Um, you know th- this this young man, this author, has a lot of talent, and he gets it from his mother and father. So how many days did it take you to finish this book? Four days. Four um, days. Four days. It, I don't know, three hundred and fifty pages or something. But um, once you pick it up, it's the type of book you don't want to put One of down. Those those are my favorite. Yeah, it is. It, it is fascinating, and it doesn't take you under pages to get into it either. It, it it's captivating from page one. All right, so Tom's book club recommendation of the month is? Of the week. Of the week? Yeah, say nothing. Say nothing. Dad and Keith. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Diane. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air. Now don't forget to subscribe, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite listening platform. You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.